Hello and welcome to the Deep State Consciousness Podcast. Today I'm joined by Martin Wells. Martin is a psychotherapist who works in the NHS, the National Health Service in Britain, and he also has an interest in non-duality and incorporates that into his work. So Martin, good morning. Good morning. So I think before we get into any of that, I'm going to have to ask you to give something of a definition of non-duality. Okay in a way okay. that's perhaps accessible to people who are, are more interested in the therapeutic aspect and have tuned into this. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it, it's a weird thing to define in a way, isn't it? Because we're, we're talking about something, uh, a not something, which, yeah. is, which is a bit unusual when we're defining anything, really. But of course, um, we, we, can't, we can't talk about oneness because that's in, in, in effect what we are. But linguistically, it's not possible to, to talk about oneness in a way that, that the mind can uh, absorb. So we, we then need to talk about not something, not to. Um, and the relevance for therapy in that is, is that um, we take ourselves to be a, a number of things. Like in the NHS, for example, people take themselves to be their diagnosis for example, or their personality adaptations or their defensive mechanisms or their attachment styles. Now, all of that, in a sense, is ultimately not who we are. So, so the, the relevance of non-duality, not this and not that in psychotherapy, is that we, we can strip away all the things that we've imagined ourselves to be. Um, including some fairly problematic stuff for people, mm. including a sense of being a bad person or a, or a failure or, or not lovable. You know, these are fairly extreme um, uh, fictions that people carry in their minds about themselves. And they feel very real. Yeah. So the relevance then of non-duality is, is that we're inviting people to, to, to deeply question is that true? Am I that? I know I've believed that and I've lived that out. Mm. It's become a self-fulfilling prophecy. But ultimately, is it true? Yeah, and that's, that's my big in interest in these interviews, really, because mm. I'm very aware that people live in a prison of their own minds for a lot of their yeah. lives. And they might be aware that what they, they know is kind of fictional in terms of their thoughts about them being a bad person. But it doesn't, on some level, change the fact that they think it. So yes. I'd, I'd like to just pause there and pick up yes. on that theme in a moment, but just go back in time to ask a question. I find I ask a lot of people uh, on mm. these is how did this start for you? Were you a therapist who became interested in the meditative non-dual or were you a non-dualist who got into therapy? What, what's your story? No, it's more the other way around. I, I, I started uh, my professional life as a social worker and by that, I mean, in my early twenties and at that time was already interested in, Eastern mysticism, Eastern philosophy. Um, uh, and I had, uh, at that stage, was not putting the two together at all, but just they were both really strong interests of mine. And then I studied in psychotherapy and um, came across someone who was teaching meditation and integrating that into psychotherapy. So the two came together. Although that wasn't non-duality, that was more of a progressive path, a path of meditation. Mm. And then about 
10 years ago, I attended a conference at the Royal College of Psychiatrists where um, a French psychiatrist was speaking and he, uh, he'd studied with Jean Klein and he spoke in a way that just uh, enabled me to really understand non-duality at a, at a very deep level. In a way, everything changed in that, in that experience. Mm. Um, and, and everything changed in terms of my <clears throat> approach to therapy, my approach to my own psyche and my own story. Um, uh, so it was a, it was a, a radical letting, letting go of a, of, a, of a way of thinking about the human mind and body that I had carried for years, really. So you directly experienced the kind of transformational shift you were yes. talking to clients about? Yes, exactly, exactly. And, um, and, and that, had, that had a ripple effect that lasted for years in terms of um, undermining all sorts of ways that I had thought about relationships and, and about the psyche, about myself and the world. Um, Undermining thoughts you'd picked up from therapy or thoughts? Yes, yeah, yeah. therapy and, and my own personal story, but, but also the story of therapy, the cultural mm. story of therapy, stories of progress and change and, you know, improvement. Those, all, all those sort of notions fell away in a sense. So how do, how do non-duality and therapy fit together? Is it a marriage made in heaven or is it a bit of an awkward relationship sometimes? Yeah, no, good question. Um, I, I think um, in a way it's all, it's all a marriage made in heaven. So it, 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 in a sense we're, we're sort of looking for false distinctions if ever we separate these things up. But, but I think um, that there are some some problems with a with a with a, a therapy that takes things to be too real to, to the, the story to be too real um, uh, and and has notions of of change or healing when when actually fundamentally uh, philosophically in non-duality there's nothing cha to change there's nothing wrong so so a, a, a notion where where we're trying to fix something and of course in the in the nhs that's that's part of the paradigm in a sense that mm. people come to hospitals and doctors and nurses for treatment um, so it, it challenges the paradigm absolutely absolutely so that struck me as a real paradox um in probably my early 20s where mm. i'd be very invested in non-duality mm. and my mental well-being had declined i'd fallen into a kind of a depression really mm. the non-duality had played a role in that from going into myself and into myself and as my beliefs about what was in there and finding infinite divine law fell away and the reality hit home i just kind of feel this blackness this emptiness yes and there was a paradox yes. then of like very much wanting things to be different mm. but finding a lot of relief in accepting them as they are. So yes. I felt what was really protective of me in that was I could step out of my story and say, yes, horrendous it is. It's also this amazing drama that's playing out. And I'm looking yes. part of it. It's great. And that, that was fantastic. But then the thought came up, well, but do, should I want to change it? Because a part of me wants to change. I don't want to live like this forever. And, and it, it seemed like a paradox, which I feel yes. I, I found some reconciliation in with the, the non-changing, the, the being with as opposed to the, 
the desire yes. to shift yes. was the thing that enacted change paradoxically. How, how do you find you reconcile yes. yeah. with that yourself? I, I think that's absolutely true. And, and I've heard that from a number of people and I've heard that in myself. And of course, in, in the Zen tradition, for example, it is built around paradox, you know, the koans mm. that, that, that actually are designed to stop the mind with, a, with its sort of binary attempts to, to say that it's this or that, or, or I should change from this to that. Um, and and, and I, th I think the acceptance of that paradox for all of us, because uh, we'll, we'll each have a version of that, I think, uh, as well as a cultural version of that is a, is a profound step to take and 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 as you say absolutely there's a there's a, a paradox in that something radically changes without us attempting to change it so, so sorry go ahead no go on you can. i was gonna is this um is this a, a problem then in therapy without that non-dual perspective because I imagine, especially if you work for an organization yes. like NHS, that when you have a target to essentially yes. change someone, yes. I imagine that could be a very frustrating experience. Yes. Um, so do you feel it's a problem to attempt to engage in a therapeutic process without that knowledge of this on the deeper level of being, say, everything's okay and that's going yes. to cause... Yes. Or do therapists find something similar in a different way, maybe not in the language of non-duality? I think I think they do. I think they do. And and you've got people like Ellis who who, who wrote about unconditional positive regard. You know, and and, and uh, the only problem, as I as I see it, is is that we 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 profoundly underestimate the uh, our presence and our accepting presence as a, as a healing um, energy in a sense. So. I think there's a lot there's a lot of things spoken about therapy working in this way and that way uh, as though it's the technique or as, as though it's some sophisticated intervention and actually probably if you distilled it down it would be some sort of loving acceptance mm. some sort of openness to the other some sort of deep listening um, that that comes from the other and and in terms of oneness because um, I do a fair amount of supervision as, as, as well, then what, what we see time and time again is that the, the right person comes to the right therapist. Mm. Not because that therapist is, is fixed in any way, but because they in their own hearts are, are, are wrestling and struggling with mm. similar sorts of issues. So in a way, you then have two seekers in the room um, each, each in a sense, inquiring into the, 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 the true nature of themselves. And that's, that's uh, in, in itself an, an amazing um, experience for the patient and the therapist. And is it, is it common in therapy to view things that way? Or is there a sense, like, I mean, I'm, what I get from the sense of, like, Freud, say, is the therapist yes. authority figure? Yes. Okay. Yes. And what you're suggesting there is quite contrasting to that. You've got two yes. people on a similar journey with one in a slightly more guiding role. So yes. is that yeah. something therapists have to wrestle with also? I think so. Uh, and, it, and it's changing. And it's changing quite radically, really. So the, the newer therapies, sort of mentalization-based therapy, dialectical behavior therapy, 
um, and, and mindfulness, very significant part of NHS work these days. In, in a way, they're, they're quite different in terms of authority. So people are much more into the, um, the, the, the patient as a resource, the patient as, as someone, again, where there's fundamentally nothing wrong, but, but where attachment styles have, have interrupted their mm. true being, their capacity to, to, to love and be intimate. So can I, think, you, I think those are really changing the, the, the nature of therapy within right. this. Could you perhaps uh, give an example of what it's like for you as the therapist in a room, mm. uh, the difference you feel it makes opening up to that sense of non-dual accepting awareness yes. and the acceptance that you're perhaps in, in some symbolic sense looking into a mirror yes. of the person and how that changes the therapeutic interaction from, say, what might have gone on in the past yes yes um yeah i was thinking of an example uh, more from supervision of a colleague a colleague of mine who um a uh, very competent uh person consultant um uh very sort of well respected and uh, and she came against a brick wall so she was on her way to work and she just couldn't go any further. She'd been harassed and stalked by a particular family who, who had made her life very, very difficult in a sense. Um, and uh, she's a psychiatrist, so she considered formal therapy, she considered medication, she considered all sorts of things. Even I think she even thought about admission at one stage, she, she knew she was in the middle of a breakdown. Um, and but she chose to come and talk to me about it um, and it, it was what she wrote about afterwards I think that, that was quite telling that she said that she looked into my eyes and there was no fear mm, so right. wow. I, I think what what uh, you know was somehow able to convey was embrace this there's, there's, this isn't there's nothing going wrong here mm. there, there's something emerging from your history that that needs to be needs to be cleared and needs mm. to be opened up and she learned a huge amount about about vulnerability about asking for help uh, uh, and about her true perfection you know without trying to be perfect there was there was a perfection in in, in all that was happening in a sense so uh, I suppose in the answer to your question that it, it's, it's a stance that we, we take up and it's, it's not even a stance that we take up. It's a, it, it's an immersion in, in the perfection of, of nature unfolding. Mm. So, so then the words that come from the therapist's mouth are, are in a sense, an, an encouragement to embrace whatever, whatever comes. I, th I think that resonates with a common theme I found interviewing therapists of different uh -huh. perspectives on this podcast of they have a client who's afraid or ashamed of what's within them. Yeah. They, the therapist provides a space where they, they're not shaming the person. They don't think it's bad. And more than that, they're not afraid if it's something dark or malevolent yes. feeling or evil feeling within yeah they can provide a space that says, look it's okay it's okay yes. to look at this it's not something that's going to overwhelm and destroy you we're looking at this and 
and exactly. that's going to provide there's there's not that fear in the the psyche yes. of the, the therapist there's a willingness to meet that that's a yes a common theme yes and i think it's it, absolutely that and I, I and i think what what can then happen is 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 the, if that's understood and embraced by the the client or the patient then then there's a sense of creativity mm. rather than failure it's not some there's not something going wrong here i'm not i'm not falling apart and i'm never going to put it together again i'm i'm engaged in a creative po- process yeah but actually i'm participating in yeah it, yeah on a subtle unconscious level and that that's a massive shift because you can't guarantee that you know everyone's going to transcend all of their issues in a, a few sessions of anything no but no you no. can't change the way you look at that from rather than this awful thing that's being done to me from some what yes. almost feels like an outside source yes. to i'm involved in this exciting kind of hero's journey to use that joseph yes. Campbell term you know yes. my own hero's journey i'm battling and it it does have all the uh, angels and demons you find in yeah mythology and fantasy in my own mind yes out and that that's a total shift then yes yes absolutely and it it means revisiting i mean it, it, there's no bypass it's not a sort of new age transcendence in that sense it's 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 a it's an absolutely facing the original trauma and the original story yeah. and a, and a letting go because um, the hero's journey is always encompassing yes. that darkness and requires us to face our shadow in whatever form that takes exactly mm. exactly that yeah so what is the um to switch over from your perspective as the the therapist delivering this then to how the client um might engage themselves with non-duality so the first thing i imagine is you've got that word to get over non-duality yes. yeah. what what is yeah. it like when for the client to access that sense of consciousness within themselves and how you might guide them into that in whatever way they can come yes to. yes yeah well uh, i think there i mean what jean-marc the french guy uh, often spoke to me about was that the, the, there are two s- strands to that two streams to that really so there's the understanding and there's and there's the practice so uh, it, it, it one without the other in a sense is very partial so it's important that we understand what we're talking about in non-duality i don't always use that term but sure. um you know i might i might i might use other metaphors or i might talk about um uh, ego and the function of ego and and uh, and the, all the mind and how how like in a classic mindfulness we we, we might just observe these things so not me not that you know, someone might be very caught in their in their thoughts so uh, the work might be to really help them challenge those thoughts sometimes quite vigorously it's not not just a sort of passive waiting but 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 a, a sort of tough love you know mm. come on is that true is that really true and then for themselves to practice that and perhaps partly in the session but but I, I often see people only once every three or four weeks these days. Mm. So I'm not in regular weekly contact with people. But, but then their, their practice is engage in a self-inquiry. It's notice in relationships. What's, what's ego? What's, what comes from beyond ego? Can you make a discernment between the, the story and the story less being? What's free from that? 
Mm. Um, so, so there's a practice. To link back to sort of where you began then, you people are being encouraged to allow those maybe slightly deeper unconscious thoughts that are driving behavior, yes. but they're not fully aware of the, the I'm yes. worthless, I'm a bad person thoughts to come. And then yes. by bringing awareness to them, shining that light on them and challenging them, going deeper and say, okay, but is that truly who I am? Who am I? Yes. Coming back to yes. that, that fundamental, who am I? Yes, exactly. Can, can you perhaps describe what kind of shifts you see occurring in people when they're able to go? And the reason I ask mm. is because mm. I feel that I encounter people who are aware that they, their thoughts about themselves are wrong, that they're yes. not ugly, worthless, blah, 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 whatever it is. Yes. But they're still a prisoner to those thoughts. Yes. And the years can go by and they remain prisoners and they feel like there's, it's a cage on all sides and there's no getting out. So yes. yeah, that's yes. why I'd like to ask you what, mm. what do you see occurring mm. when people yeah. ask the eye that is in the cage? Yes, absolutely. And, um, I think the the most we can do is invite invite people into that into that space. Uh, and um, I um, years ago we had a a Chinese Buddhist nun work in a, in the psychiatric hospital where I am, and she she would turn up with all her robes and she would uh, run a sort of relaxation meditation group. Um, uh, and I said to her, how, how would you describe what, what you're doing? And she said, well, I, I sit in my stillness and I invite people into theirs. So these were the, these were the two things yeah. that she said, really. And, and I think what all we can do is just as she described. So as a therapist, I think it's my job to sit in my stillness so so be as present and as open and as as uh, lacking in story and ego as i can so that so that what comes comes from a stillness and and that can only invite in a sense so it, it invites the other person to know that stillness in themselves and 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 as you're saying not just know it theoretically like the difference between the observer and the and the thought, mm -hmm. but to, but to, to know it ah okay there it, there it is in a sense, and some people get that some people get it quickly some people get it slowly some people don't get it, um, and there's nothing that we can do about that other than point really be a be a guide to to that via our own presence and stillness. There's the, there's the invitation. Thank you, Martin. I'd just like to ask one more question. Actually, sure. You mentioned about the NHS and things seem to be going in the direction of mindfulness and it's positive. Um, so I'd just like to ask you a little bit more about that. Mm. I mean, do you think things are going in the right direction? And are there any ways where you feel um, things might be going off course with the integration of mindfulness? Is it being changed anyway? And do you see problems arising with, you mentioned the kind of new age, I think new age was the term you use, spiritual bypassing. And yes. when you open the door to non-duality, uh, all sorts of things might come pouring through, like Reiki, crystal, chakra healing. And I'm not, is there anything wrong with them? I'm sure I've been involved sure. in all at one me, point or other. Me too, but, me too. Yeah, yeah, so great. So <laughs> but, um, does it open up all sorts of challenges? Just, just a, whatever mm. general sense you have of that whole mm. mumble of a question there. 
Yeah. Um, have, you, have you heard of Mark Williams? I don't think I have, no. Uh, he, um, he's a professor of psychology in, in Oxford, and he did some fairly seminal research on mindfulness that um, was, a, was a sort of gold standard research within the NHS. Okay. Yeah. And it was accepted then, um, which, which meant basically that within the NICE guidelines in the NHS, people could uh, teach mindfulness as an accepted way of helping with depression, for example, depression and anxiety. And he was asked, um, he was um, uh, interviewed on Radio 4 program about mindfulness. Uh, and the interviewer said, well, you know, there's, there's problems with, uh, you know, the, there's mindfulness now in the corporate world, in, in the army, in the uh, House of Commons, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, she said, are you worried about this? Is it, is it diluting, distorting something? And he said, no, no, it's, in, it's inherently subversive. Right. It's inherently subversive. Right. So if, if, we, if we sit and really uh, be with the observer in us and, and the witness, then, then the stuff will fall away. Even, even if we sit there thinking we're going to be, uh, sell, make more sales in the afternoon or whatever. Mm, yeah. yeah. And I like that answer. And, and I think I, 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 I'm not particularly an optimist or a pessimist in, in, in the sense, but I, I, I do think our, our culture is, is in a sense uh, in, in a bit like a, a narcissistic style of personality. I think we're, we're overinflated. And and we'll we'll start to come down to to earth again in a sense, and it's partly why I think people are interested in mindfulness and, and and things like that because I think there's an inner sense of us needing to come to earth mm. and to and to ground again. Whether it'll need to get worse before it gets better, I mean, there's you know all of, all of that is possible, um, but but I think nature can be trusted in a sense, to, to bring things yeah. back to, to, to reality. That concept of it being subversive goes way back. It just reminds me of there's a, yes. a story from about 400 years ago of the Zen monk, Takuan Soho, who I think he, he bested a, a highwayman who tried to rob him and he beat him with his stick. And the highwayman wanted to learn his martial skills. So he put it, he said, okay, sit in my garden and do Zen meditation every day. And I'll tell you when you're ready to go on to the more advanced techniques. <laughs> To put a long story short, six months later, I, I don't want to be a, a highwayman. I don't want to learn these martial techniques anymore. Yeah. I, I realized I've lived my life very wrong and I'm going to make it. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I hadn't heard that. That's great. Um, okay. Well, thank you very much indeed uh, for that, Martin. Is there any other thoughts before we conclude or do you think? No, that's fine. Thank you. Really I'll enjoyed it. to your uh, website and work beneath in the comment section on whatever platform people listen to this on. And thank you very much. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you. Nice to meet you.